Welcome to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach, with your host, Vanessa. On this podcast, we talk about who your coach is when the name tag comes off. What makes this coach tick? How did they get started? And what kept them going? What coach inspired them? Do they have any passions outside of coaching? And most importantly, what do they want their legacy to be? Tune in to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach. Welcome back to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach, Why Coaches Are Humans Too. On this podcast, we interview coaches across the nation to find out who they truly are and what makes them tick. And today, we have our special guest, Mike, from Overland Park, Kansas. Mike, how are you today? What's going on for you? In the house. Yeah, I'm... uh... (laughs) got done uh, with my Saturday sessions and met a sprint workout and and now uh, you're on a walk you're enjoying your nature and now man I've I've got my steps I'm at (laughs) 15,000 steps right now and I hear a woodpecker in the background and the sun is on my face so life is good yeah life is good what are you listening to any music whenever you do your walks or you just kind of enjoy the nature sounds (laughs) so the walks uh, I'm like a walk and talk kind of guy. Ah. Uh, now, when it comes to running, it depends on the type of run. So if it's an easy run, I'm a podcast guy. Oh. And if it's, a, if it's a, a long run, I'll do a, and if I go, let's call it 12, 14, 16 miles. For those of you who don't know, I'm a, a runner and I'm more of a long distance runner. And so if I do a long run, I'll listen to a podcast on the way out and music on the way back. Um, and the music that I'm listening to to get me fired up has, I'll just I'll keep it to one genre or even one artist. We'll say well, Eminem. It's been Eminem. That's who I've been listening to these days. So, oh, okay. Yeah, That's nice. Yeah. All right. He's been, he's been putting out some sweet stuff and it's been getting me going. Yeah, I mean, he is just an incredible artist. And plus, I'm sure his beats per minute kind of keep you, keep you going. Um, what podcast do you like? Are you a crime, a crime investigative, or education, or what do you like to listen to? Yeah, it's uh, a lot of it's industry related. Um, there are some really good podcasts when it comes to running, um, and the coaches are what is it? Steve Magnus. I'm kind of uh, drawing a blank on. It's called on on coaching. Okay. Um, another one that I've been listening to is a gentleman called um, Mark Coles. It's called Mastery Podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, those are a couple of my my go tos. Um, there's another one called Train with Purpose by Final Surge. Is another podcast that I've been listening to. Um, so yeah, those are a couple of my my go tos. Nice. I'm. And then, um, so what music were you listening to growing up? Because I know, like, my mom was always, like, a Motown influence. Dad was rock and roll. Grandma was a little jazz. So I found myself sitting right in the middle around, like, R&B mostly right now. But um, did anyone have any influence on what you like to listen to for music growing up? Yeah, uh, my brother, really. Um, 
he was about 10 years older than me. Uh-huh. And so he, I, I'm 38, so he's 48. And so he was a big Beastie Boys guy. Oh. Uh, and interestingly enough, um, my middle initial is D, so he called me Mike D. <laughs> okay. So uh, I thought that was cool. And, of course, when he was in high school, you know, I'm this little guy. And um, my brother used to say, yeah, they're talking about you. They're talking about you in the song. Mike D, they're talking about you. So, of course, <laughs> I was the gullible little guy. And so I, I really like Beastie Boys as a, as a little guy. That's um, a cool memory. But then getting into, yeah, um, and getting into high school, uh, it was like Usher and Nelly and, uh, yeah, and and now, you know, I just kind of, whatever hits the radio, really. I'm not a, I'm not a big uh, listen to any one genre. I'm kind of listening to the, the favorite hits that are out right now. I know some people are like DJs when it comes to their classes and they know all the mixes and all the songs and, but uh, I'm kind of listening to whatever's hot on the radio these days. Yeah, that's pretty funny. That's I, where I'm at right now. I actually was. Uh, I that I don't know why that reminded me of when my grandmother would come into town for my birthday, and there would be a plane cro- uh, crossing the sky, and it had like the flag, you know, kind of like a marketing sign. And when I when uh-huh. I didn't know how to read yet, she'd be like, "Yeah, that says Happy Birthday, Vanessa. <laughs> it's all for you. It's awesome. all for you." Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, like old summer memories. I always remember listening to like the Beach Boys, and I feel like I can smell the grill. I can like feel the air, how like hot and moist it mm-hmm. was. Do you have a song yeah. that kind of is tied to a specific memory where you can feel and like smell everything? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's funny you say that. Yes, um, my dad and I used to go looking for deer in the country. Like we'd pop in his truck and. Uh, he listened to oldies and listened to Bye Bye Miss American <laughs> so I, I remember hearing that but we'd be out in the country and um, our hunting partner and my dad there'd, there'd be manure out in the in the country and my hunting partner would always say mmm smells like apple pie <laughs> and so I always associated it with a good thing so whenever I know it sounds disgusting but when I smell manure I'm like, that That brings back good memories, not That's bad hilarious. memories, or it doesn't smell, like, disgusting to me. Yeah. So it's, he, he, he made it seem like it was a good thing. Yeah. And so my brain, <laughs> whenever I smell manure, <laughs> I'm like, mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's, yeah, that's a new one for sure. I mean, you know, there's just like certain triggers. Like, you know, you're a soccer player. Last night I was going, uh, I was on my way home and uh, windows were down. It was like a cool, like 65 degrees sun, but the sun was out and it was perfect. And right as I was driving by a uh, sprinkler system, the wet grass is always like a very quick trigger to like old training days back whenever like, you know, the seasons start changing, but I'm sure my seasons looked a whole lot different than I guess where you were at because obviously I'm in Texas, but, um, but yeah. um, But yeah, one of my favorite things as well was seeing my dad make a CD for our soccer games in high school. And it was so funny to see him try to be like, mixing in some hip hop but he actually did a pretty good job like putting together a playlist um and then you grew up playing soccer as well is that correct i did yep yep for a couple of years nice. <laughs> for a lot a long time yeah 
What position were you? Yeah, I played uh, in the midfield. So I um, kind of early in high school started as an outside midfield. And then as I uh, developed into my junior and senior year, I came into the middle. And then I ended up going and playing uh, college and uh, college soccer. Same thing, I started on the outside, and then my senior year I came back as like a uh, defensive center mid because I had really good vision on the field and um, could control the game. Nice. So I ended up finishing up playing for, for Michigan State for a couple of years. In 2004, Big Ten champions, we beat the uh, national champions Indiana that year. Oh, so wow, cool. okay. So that was kind of our, kind of our highlight. Yep. Did so I've you... got to watch in a ring to prove it. Did you uh, did you ever play indoor too? Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I played. I mean, pretty much once I got in high school, I played year round. So I I played um, basketball in the winter, but I still played indoor soccer. Uh-huh. I had to like to play at that to play at that level. You have to touch the ball multiple times a week. Yeah. And so um, I liked the speed of indoor soccer. You got more touches on the ball. There was more goals. It was just a little faster pace. Um, and that's actually, I, I played baseball through seventh grade, and that's why I quit baseball, because it was just like a little slower. Yeah. So I, through high school, kept, kept playing basketball and soccer, and then once I got into college, I, I just played just played soccer. So. Yeah, I was a little bit too physical to play basketball or baseball. I kept screening people too hard and, you know, <laughs> like wanting to slide tackle anybody on the base. So, you know, I had to be, yeah. I had to be on the field instead. Um, do you have uh, do you have an outstanding coach that you worked with over your years being an athlete that has had just a really strong impression on you as a person or even as a coach yourself? Sure. Yeah, uh, I would say my high school soccer coach. Um, he just he's like one of those legacy coaches, and he's been a coach for for thirty years. He actually played uh, college soccer at Michigan State as well, and you know it's one of those people that probably could have gone on and, and done anything but you know he he found his kind of passion and, and made a big impact in the community you know he's one of those coaches that after you've been at a school for 30 years um, you know everybody knows you and you start to create a culture and you know had a big sports complex named after him and Jeez. Um, I, I, I appreciated him because of uh, his systems that he ended up uh, every year he would do the same thing and it, it just worked you know you don't have to uh, rebuild any of the systems or rebuild any of the testing that you do um, so I, I appreciated the fact that he had systems and he was very well organized um, and then I had another coach after uh, after college and this probably would have been 2000 nine through 2012 uh, my triathlon coach actually he uh, is out at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs and uh, once again his systems were just spot on his information was um, just outstanding and so uh, I learned a lot of my systems from my my coaches and I say I've been you know out of college now for 15 years and of those 15 years I've had a coach that I've you know paid the for about 14 or 14 and a half of them and that's really what made me the coach that I am today is that melting pot of not just those two co- two coaches that I talk about, but all the coaches and all my experiences, you know, that 
that I um, uh, had from them. What did you love mostly about their methods? Um, I would say the, the triathlon coach, uh, his name is Justin Trolley. He, there was a reason, there was a why, and I could understand the why. There was a lot of uh, exercise fizz to it. He was actually um, from New Zealand, and he uh, was a national champion himself, but he was extremely educated um, to the point where he was educating other coaches. So uh, he knew it so well that he could teach it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, uh, I think you know that the coaches are good when they don't just coach they also teach coaches right. you know when you're when you're teaching the, the information you, ha- you have to have next level information in order to teach it um, and so um, he was just so smooth and uh, it made it made sense yeah so, just flipping that uh, perspective you know, a, lot pe- a lot of people in the gym these days uh, work out and we trained, and we trained for years and years, and I could see a continuous improvement. And there weren't massive jumps in my fitness. It was just a continuous progress. And, and like I said, I think I was coached by, by him specifically for about four years. Um, and by the end of it, I was, um, let's see, 2011, I went to uh, Vermont and Burlington, and I qualified for the world championship. But, um, and so I, uh, in the Olympic distance triathlon, so I swam, oh gosh, I think it was like 22, 23 minutes. Uh, I biked 25 miles. I biked uh, 24 miles an hour. And then I got off the bike and I ran sub six minute miles for the 10K. Jeez. And that was really kind of the pinnacle of my triathlon career and fitness. And then the next year I went over to New Zealand and competed for, for Team USA as a elite amateur. Wow. Um, but it was, it was years and years to be able to achieve that. And one of the things that he said was that um, you know what you're capable of after seven years of continuous training, okay? I'll say that again. You know what you're capable of after seven years of continuous training. And I think that a lot of people will get on a program and they'll, they'll do a half marathon program, they'll do a marathon program, they'll do a triathlon program, they'll want to get their, you know, uh, chest and arms good for summer and then they'll kind of come in and out and so what i did was i focused for a couple of years on one particular disc and that's really when the uh benefits came was when i when i got kind of single-minded um so seven years to see what you're capable of and 10 years to, to actually hit your peak fitness so um those are those are that's like a nugget that i took from him mm-hmm. that uh i think when you look at other gymnasts and other people in the sport, you're like, wow, when I think back, yeah, you're right. That's, that, you know, seven years of being in the sport, continuously playing. Um, uh, that's, that's when I knew that I was good or great, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yep. I feel like uh, some obviously good coaches do their own research and have their own mentors and continuing education. But obviously a big aspect of being an athlete is also the mental focus that it takes. Mm-hmm. Did your coaches yep. or um, do you yourself have certain practices in place where um, you always kind of draw from certain books or you're looking for certain books or podcasts to kind of learn from whenever you're approaching the mental aspect of training? 
Yeah, and, and it's experiences too, right? So right. Uh, being in the game, I've got many, many experiences to draw from. Uh, my own experiences, my athletes' experiences, or case studies that I read about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a really good book called Endure, written by Alex Hutchinson. Uh, he's a writer for, I think, New York Times. I may be incorrect, but uh, it's a great book about how the brain often holds us back. Okay? And uh, he talks about altitude training, heat acclimation, um, and so on. And um, in, in training, once you do, let's call it a tempo run that's three miles long, after you've done that, and your legs haven't fallen off, and you are not dead, your brain says, hey, I've survived that. I can go harder. And so the next time you do that, your brain lets you go faster. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you might not be any more fit, but because you did not die from that encounter, your brain's like, hey, you're good, go ahead, we've done this before. You know, and it's actually called the central governor model. Um, and so the more you train in those environments, and uh, at those intensities, the more the brain can let your body go. So, yeah, that book endures is, is a really, really good one for uh, training. Interesting. Okay, I'll have to check that one out. Are you um, so when you think about coaching and when you think about parenting, do you feel like they are also similar? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and the, I mean, the first thing I think about is um, kind of practice what you preach. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the coaches that I respect mm-hmm. do it, mm-hmm. do it, or have done it, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think about going out on a bike ride with my kids. If I were to tell them to put on a helmet and I myself don't have a helmet on, mm-hmm. well, then I don't, what? Like, that just doesn't make sense. So kind of practice what you preach, you know? It's because they can turn around and they can say, well, Dad, why don't you have your helmet on? Instead, now they, they go and, you know, they go and get me the helmet because that's, that's the norm. They know that we're all supposed to have our helmets on. I have my helmet on, so I, I you know, practice what practice what we preach. And that's, that's what the coaches, my previous coaches, have done as well. So they've, they've, they've been there, done it, and maybe are not, they don't have to have currently done it, but they have to understand it and have done it in the past, you know? Yeah, I've I heard something the other day that kids are not teachable, they're impressionable. And I I had to kind of sit with that for a moment because it's kind of like what you're describing is that the best way you can teach them is by showing them what to do, like acting acting the way that you would like them to act. Um Yep. And you have twin boys, right? Yeah. What are their names? I just want to expand on, I want to, if I could, if I could expand on that topic. Yeah, of course. I remember seeing this, uh, it was a picture or a mime, meme, whatever you want to call it. Um, (laughs) And it was, uh, they they were either in New York or Chicago, they were on the L or a subway, and everybody's on their cell phone, okay? And there is a mother and a child reading a book, and the person next to the mother says, how do you get your kid to read a to read a book? Like, why are they you know why are they asking for a phone? Because they only know what they see. Right. So, if the parent is always on their phone, that's what the kid is going to want to do. Mm-hmm. Or is it the parent has a newspaper, has a book, gives them attention, looks them in the eyes? 
that's what the child will learn and that's what the child will do. Right. You know? So right. you you give the child an iPad and you let them sit on it all day, that's what they're gonna want. If that's what you do as a parent, that's what they're gonna wanna do as well. Yep. Yeah, they're I mean they're they're your well, little monkeys, right? Monkey see, monkey do. They yeah. One hundred percent. You know, yeah. Guys. yeah. I just have. Yeah, uh, oh, go ahead. What's that? Go ahead. I'm gonna say their name: Ben and Andrew. Mm. Benjamin and Andrew are their names. Yep. And they're how young? Yeah, they're almost. They are going to be six in uh, about two months. Oh, nice. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I have a six they're, and an eight-year-old niece. That's what I was just gonna say. Is that they are definitely my little monkeys. They are crazy. Yep. Little yep. tornadoes. Yep, little wild boys. Mm-hmm. Like I like to say, if, if I don't get them out and run them uh, or get them <laughs> active and doing something, uh-huh. you know, like, almost like a, a Vishwa dog, they will yeah. eat the couch, couch cushions. Exactly. You know, like... <laughs> yep. What do you feel like is the is your favorite part uh, about being a dad? Oh, maybe just getting back to what we were talking about is um, – kind of making an impact and, and showing them what it's like to be a good a good human um, because they, they look up to me and they are very moldable right now, almost six years old. So, um, you know, during this COVID time, they haven't had too many encounters with very many people, uh, just, just limiting exposure. And uh, so they look at um, me and my wife often and that's, that's really where they're getting the majority of their um, how to do things, why to do things. Oh, that's what you're supposed to do because mommy and daddy do that. Oh, okay. Um, so just kind of molding them to be the men that I want want them to be. Yeah, that must be really challenging is, you know, a lot of these kids are not having a ton of social engagement. So they, they're not really getting a lot of like, I guess, uh, social cues and conversation building skills um, that they would normally uh, feel because it just feels different in person, right? I mean, even even in this type of an, an experience, since you and I are not in front of each other, I mean, it's hard to feel another person. That's a big part of human interaction is just feeling their mm-hmm. the energy and the uh, energy exchange between two people. One hundred percent. That's one of my favorite things about being an in in coach uh, or in person coach is being able to still have that impact in person and online and having that opportunity. But what do you feel like is one of your favorite parts of having this career? Um, <laughs> um, I hate to keep using the word impact, but. Uh, it, it, it's impact and influence, you know. Um, one of my first mentors, uh, something like 2003, 2004, when I was getting my uh, kinesiology degree, I thought I was going to be a physical therapist. And I actually interned with a physical therapist, and it was super slow. Uh, you know, it was, just, it was too slow for me. And I did another internship with a personal trainer uh, who managed a, uh, a very large gym. And he was going out and doing corporate lectures, uh, and he was actually, he was changing people's lives, and I could see it. And he was changing people's lives with really good nutrition information, nutrition and lifestyle information. And uh, he has always been someone that I've, uh, or at least the concept of 
making people's lives better is what I'm trying to do daily. And so I like doing the one-on-ones. I like being able to have that, that connection and to be able to make a massive impact with the individual. But ultimately, I want to be able to reach the masses. I want to be able to reach uh, many people and to, to teach them uh, kind of the, the good ways, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, I, I, can, uh, I can imagine that, you know, having that much of a presence online can be challenging uh, and also rewarding just because you don't really get to look at people's bodies the same, you know, and um, coming from, uh, you know, my experience, I've only been really in person, haven't really like ventured off into the online scene as much um, just yet. Um, but one of my thing, one of my favorite things to study is just how resilient a body can be and just like the overall capacity and having those, um, light bulb moments of a client looking back at you and being like, I had no idea that I was capable of doing that. And I'm like, yep, that's kind of weird, right? Weird how science works. Um, but what do you feel like is a part of the body that you're most fascinated by? Um... Probably the, the first thing that comes to mind is the brain. Yeah. I'd say the close, close second would be the heart. Um, the brain, because like just like you talked about, uh, I, I think that we put a lot of limitations on us by our previous experiences or by the people around us. So I've always tried to surround myself with great people doing amazing things. So I've heard something, uh, you are the average of the five closest people to you. And that's financially, that's physically, that's emotionally. So I choose my friends wisely. Right. I keep the people around me uh, close, and I, I, I choose them. Um, uh, it, it takes a while for me to, to pick those five people. So, um, yeah, I would say the brain as well. Like, thinking you were talking about resilience and people don't realize how much they can do. I think about David Goggins' book, oh, You Can't yeah. Hurt Me. Yeah. And uh, he's incredible. His, his brain had to change before his body could. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so he talks about having these little like post it notes that he put up in his bathroom. And he, he had like uh, affirmation statements that he'd say or things to, to, to get his mind right. And you have to say those hundreds of thousands of times in order to start believing them. Like you can. Uh, and then. Um, and then the body can follow. Right. You know, like when I'm coaching athletes to do races, I try to get them to see the course. I try to get them just to, to, to think about smelling the course. Like um, some of my, uh, I got a good story for you. 2008, I ran the Boston Marathon. And uh, I was dating a girl at the time. And she asked me, it was probably like, 12 weeks prior to the race she's like so what are you going to run what, what, what what's your time going to be and i go i i, I don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna break three and uh she goes no mike like come on i know you like you you know the time this is what you do with your athletes you ask them what time specifically and i go okay two two fifty nine whatever okay and I, I i don't remember actually what the seconds were but what i did was i wrote that time on a sheet of paper and i put it in my pocket and I carried it with me the remaining time of my training. I just kept it in my pocket. And so I thought about that all day long because it was in my pocket. I touched it like when I was 
eating lunch, I'd take my keys out, my wallet out, and I would see that piece of paper. I'd be done with my day, I'd pull it out, I'd see that paper. And so it was like in the back of my mind all day long. And I crossed the finish line that year in 259 something. Wow. To the minute. Really? To the minute. Bawling, crying as I crossed the finish line because of how just it just happened you know i thought about it so many times and i made it happen right yeah so i think that's a uh case in point like (laughs) you are what you think about all day long yeah i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of research done by that and um people in the spiritual world would call that manifesting you know you you Mm, you believe it you speak it you become it and um Mm-hmm. And there's obviously also a lot of um, science and data with uh, placebo and the placebo effect. And um, there's been studies done where, you know, they have intentionally or unintentionally given the wrong diagnosis and they will visibly see the body react and either shut down or start attacking itself in a way that you gave them the wrong diagnosis and then as soon as yep. you corrected course and you said, you know, actually we were completely wrong, you don't have that diagnosis, you're completely healthy, immediately the body starts responding and thriving in a different way. And then if you've if you've heard or or studied or interacted at all with the Wim Hof, I mean he's big on um internal um strength and resiliency will obviously show through um like your cold therapy responses and stuff so that stuff is i mean that that stuff is intriguing um absolutely just think about think about uh, my kids if i were to call my kids stupid stupid you're stupid oh man guess what they're gonna be stupid mm -hmm. you know but if i tell my kid oh my gosh you just read that holy cow you're you're only you're not even six years old how are you buddy you are so smart like right you have to the words that you use are so, so important, you know, yeah. so choose them wisely. Well, they're also, it's also very powerful. And I kind of think about the, um, there is, um, research done obviously from first degree smoking and then second degree and then third degree. So for instance, like if somebody was smoking and then put it out and they left the environment, but you are walking through afterwards, there's still going to be negative effects from that environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then so same thing with um, even if a parent is uh, giving positive affirmation to their children, but refuses to give positive affirmation to themselves, the child is usually smart enough to realize, well, if you don't get that then why would i i'm not anywhere near as smart as you are so there's there's something to be said about also like kind of like you said actions but also just like um how we speak to ourselves well honey like you're beautiful but mom is having a hard time with blank or um i don't like the way that this fits in that and they they say that you 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 know you have uh, over like three hundred thousand thoughts daily um, and a lot yeah. of them are obviously like subconscious. Um, it's like a puzzle piece or it's like a, what am I trying to say? More like wiring, right? That you start having yeah, hard, yeah. hard wiring um, that just uh, ends up kind of eating your, eating your thoughts away. So yeah, I mean, it, it can be the fastest poison or it can be the, you know, the biggest electricity to help motivate and discipline and et cetera. 
But um, yeah, the brain is something that I'm I'm incredibly fascinated by. The brain and obviously psychology in general. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Those are amazing points. Um, Speaking of which, what uh, would you say is one of the hardest barriers you've experienced with your fitness career? Um, was it mental or physical, and how did you overcome it? It's uh, a good question. Um, I think it, it well kind of put me on the spot. But what I would what originally comes to mind is just the amount of time it takes to become what I want to be. Yeah. So I guess similar to what we talked about with fitness, like it, it takes time. Like you can't just, I can't just host an event and expect to be this phenom and to have a following and to make a massive impact. It takes multiple encounters and multiple impacts to get the word out there, right? So, right. Uh, I read a lot. There's actually a book called Range, okay? And uh, I think this is written by David Epstein. He talks about where you are in your career is because of all the things that you've done in the past. And so I think about all the internships. I think about, like, growing up, I had a lawn care business, and I worked on golf courses, and I worked as a caddy. I worked at a shoe store. And um, and then, uh, you, you know, jumped right into the corporate world in Chicago um, and then, started a personal training company. You know, I mean, so I've been, I've been in the world of fitness. You know, I say I've been coaching for 15 years, but that's just like when I actually became a career coach. But, you know, I was coaching people even in, in high school, you know, I was like teeing up workouts and stuff like that. So um, what I'm doing today is because of like a couple decades of training, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that that's probably the biggest barrier is like, in order to be great, you have to be in the game for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to, you have to, some people call it being in the trenches. You have mm-hmm. to, you have to have lived it and you have to be in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that might be the you know, first thing to come to mind is just time. Got to have time in the game. Yeah, I've, I've actually, that reminds me of a, a good quote as well that um, in order to be great you have to be willing to be a failure at first like you have to be able to learn through the growth mindset of being you know being and embracing the rookie mindset and fail and fail again just so that you can you know failure to be honest is always the best teacher um and I always thought that was kind of an interesting um practice that uh someone else that we've had on the podcast that's that's what they would do with their kids. They would, uh, at dinner, they would actually ask them, how did you fail today? Instead of like, what was great about your day? It was, how did you fail today? And so inspired the kids to just get out and try. And they would always have this mindset around failure as something good. And I just was like, man, that is like solid advice for kiddos. It's interesting. There's a book out called Go For No. Uh-huh. And it's like a sales book. Like, the more no's you get, yep. the better. Yeah. Because then eventually you'll get a yes. Exactly. So, you know, working in the corporate world of uh, lifetime, you got to walk up to people on the training floor. And the people that are not good at getting a no and get shut down and have that hormonal cortisol, like, oh, man, they don't like me or whatever, like, Move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Get get to the next person. Introduce yourself. Try to help them out. 
Um, and the more no's you get, eventually it'll get some, some yeses. So I, I, I like that concept. So, I'll, maybe I'll have to try that at dinner tonight with the little guys, ask them how they feel. They'll, they'll probably look at me a little bit cross-eyed because it's a new concept, but I'll have to expand on it. I like that one. Yeah, giving them an example, I'm sure they'll be able to pick it up and be like, oh, okay. And I think it's so oh, – that's why I love kids. They're just so very, like, blunt and honest or curious and – um, hearing their responses is so interesting. You'll have to tell me what they say. I'm interested to hear. I will. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, using that type of answer that you gave about kind of like how you have been able to expand, have you been able to apply that with your personal clients? Like that type of experience of just like time invested? Because um, I feel like a lot of – like you, you were touching on this earlier. A lot of clients want – this kind of like hard stop goal and they focus on the achievement rather than the process and that's one of the hardest lessons i had to learn was it actually mm. the, the reward comes through the process and the progress instead of the goal because yep. once you have a fixed goal and you achieve it well then then what then it's just kind of like a yeah. womp you know yeah i know one thing that comes to mind is um I coach a lot of runners and triathletes, uh-huh. and I love I love coaching them because there's a very defined end date. Boston Marathon, Chicago Marathon, Chicago Triathlon, and, and so on. It, it, it's a date right there. It's fixed. That's the time. That's the date. Right. I've got 16 weeks. And during the pandemic, people had to create new goals, and it was harder to create an end date. And so yeah. uh, to give them other things to shoot for was very, very important. And so that was, as a coach, that was a, that was a shift for me. And um, I think if I was just a run coach or just a triathlon coach, it would have been difficult because I didn't know that people, you know, people can work on their health. People can work on their fitness, uh, on, their, on their fitness. They can work on their sleep. They can work on their waistline they could work on their resting heart rate you know so there are many many things that could be goals uh that they're they're trying to accomplish so i think the covid made me a better coach um because uh, we had to be a little more flexible with creating dates and creating creating time so yeah um, that makes sense yeah yeah, I think that that's I think that's a natural human tendency to ask what's next once achievement has, you know, happened and I definitely resonate with that like okay, you know, I've I've had this certification in this position uh currently and what's kind of next? How do I challenge myself? You know, looking at maybe even like nutrition certifications, even something that I've considered as well is is um life coaching kind of like what you're talking about that there's more like mind soul and body connection um than a lot of times we're able to kind of practice i guess in a corporate facility um and there's there's appropriate ways to to approach it and still kind of like approach it through books or podcasts etc just to kind of help people understand that when they're improving their body a lot of times life needs to come first before the body will follow, you know, like, like looking at the, the five people that you surround yourself with, or look at what you're consuming. What, what are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Um, so what is one quote that has stuck with you 
that you find yourself kind of working into your parenting or your coaching? Mm. Uh, it's, uh, it's a little speed free on pain here. That's one that always resonates with me. To give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're all given a gift, and, you know, I think that I early on was able to to really uh, leverage that, and fitness allowed me to become the coach that I am today. And uh, working in multiple multiple sports, and that, and then even in triathlon, it gave me the range to be able to coach multiple athletes. So I've coached um, people who have become uh, the one k American women's ski erg record holder. I've coached para athletes. I've coached um, fifteen hundred meter uh, runners who competed in London in the Olympics. Uh, I've prepped people for the uh, bobsled combine to try and hit the standard for that. Um, and I wouldn't have gotten those opportunities if I didn't have the range, you know, like if I was just a run coach. So um, getting myself into multiple sports early on as a, as a boy and then being able to continue playing and using many facets and tools in the gym to be able to get those goals is, I think, what um, – allowed me to to use that gift that I've got. Yeah, I love I love that about again about children staying curious, trying new things, open-minded to just what's that? You know, how do I get into that? How do I get better at that? Um is there a piece of advice that you would have given your younger self? What would that be? Uh the one thing I often tell some of the high school kids I see lifting in the gym is to lift to get lift to perform. Don't lift to get big. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of this is the younger me, like thinking about me in high school and thinking about me in college. If I would have lifted to be fast, I would have performed much different on the soccer field. Mm-hmm. Where I. I I was just so new into lifting. And yes, it, me lifting is better than me not lifting. But there was a point where I started to actually get big, which could have, when I achieved the level of soccer I did, it started to, to hinder some of my, my first steps. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so some of these, some of these uh, cross-country guys I see lifting in the gym are trying to, you know, hit a big, hit a big bench press. And, you know, just if I, if I'd known how to, lift then mm-hmm. like I know now mm-hmm. you know who knows who knows what I would have been able to do you know so that's the, that's the first thing that comes to mind yeah I don't I don't know if you actually had posted this yesterday or who posted it yesterday but there was this uh this meme that was like um you know many of you practice your workout routines like a bodybuilder never intending to step on stage Yet most of the time you're wanting to play in a practice or a social league and then you wonder why you get injured when you're not training to perform. And I was like, man, yeah, that's really well put because I feel like, and no knock, no knock on how anyone wants to choose to move. If it's dancing, if it's running, if it's like, you know, I don't care how you move. Um, Moving in general is like, is, is the, is the intention is like, you know, use your body and, and understands its, its capacity. But I will say that 
too many times I have people come to me that want to play it safe and stay in a fixed point and, and do the seated machines and um, or they have again a big belief and of course you know if it came from a white coat it must be true um, so you know I can't move this because someone said this and I just have accepted that like oftentimes it's you know very functional movements that I'm like, okay, well, are you never going to sit on a toilet again? Or are you never going to do, are you never going to cook? Are you never going to get in and out of a shower again? Like a lot of stuff. I'm very biased clearly to more like functional movements. You know, I said this on one of our other uh, episodes too. uh, When I was talking about how I look at uh, people and just general population as athletes of life, when you're training on, all planes of movement and you are um, giving the body you know even just a simple complex two simple complex movements um, then you just kind of wake the brain up in different ways and you can you would be um, surprised at how much fun you can have working out and that's just kind of the that's the ticket is not only are you benefiting Mm -hmm. you know your quality of life and movement but also just kind of waking the brain up in different ways Especially with, you know, um, prevalent, um, you know, memory loss, et cetera. That's always going to kind of help yeah. that. Yeah. Um, now, I asked you what one piece of advice you would give to your younger self. But I love spinning this question. What would okay. one piece of advice you would give to your older self? And I, I'm totally fine with however you want to translate that. So... Interesting. So my older self, let's call it when I'm 50 or when I'm 60. Oh, let's go with like 80. 80. Okay. Um, my older self. Well, uh, I guess we could continue talking about the way we train and uh, the, the way we train more. 70 and 80 is about retaining muscle mass. Um, that's the, one of the first things that comes to mind, but I kind of want to get out of that training realm um, and talk about friendships and how Ooh. important friendships are. Yeah. Um, and how that can be just as good for our health as just bearing muscle right, when we get into the age. So I think um, having good, strong friendships can be um, extremely beneficial for people in, in their 80s. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's probably what I would, uh, tell myself is to, to get friendships and to not let them fade, you know, like I've got some really good friends right now that I played college soccer with and some guys that, uh, were at my wedding and they, they live across the country now and many of them almost, almost all corners of the, the country and I think it's important that we try to see each other at least once a year you know and mm-hmm. uh, some of those guys I'm having conversations with once a week on the phone mm-hmm. and a lot of that's just like a, a could be a five minute conversation the, when I'm coming home from work mm-hmm. and I've got um, some of these guys on my favorite list on my phone mm-hmm. and I'm just coming home and just shoot them, a, shoot them a ring and they're like hey what's up and I'm like I don't know. Just call and say hi, you know. And <laughs> conversation just flows. This conversation just flows, you know. Yeah, like you I, just pick I, it I up. Don't need to, I don't need to call for any particular reason, but I just need to keep in contact with them. Yeah. We don't need a we don't need a reason to reach out to 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 our our buddies and, and friends, you know. It's just 
so I do with my, my, my mom and my, my siblings. And it's, hey, what's happening? And she's like, well, your dad's doing the dishes right now. And then the conversation explodes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's so cute. So. Yeah, that that reminds yeah. me of like of um, some studies I have heard about with um, either tribes or communities that are have really like put an investment in in each other and like actual quality time, not like senior mm-hmm. citizen homes. Whereas I'm assuming that not only are they obviously having like senior citizen homes for the convenience of having a caretaker present. Um, but the idea behind having a community was is supposed to have a, a, a solid impact in their overall health and well-being. Um, but I would say, like, actual intentional investments, whether it be long-term friends, um, some friends that, you know, you end up having just quick sparks with, and all of a sudden you're like, man, like, I feel like we've been friends all our life. I just want to tell you all of the things. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's important to reevaluate some of your relationships, too. You know, time doesn't necessarily mean quality of relationship. Um, right. it, you know, it just means that, you know, you, you've had them for a long time in your life. Um, and that's kind of one of the, the that actually does relate more to some of my truths. Um, you know, I feel like when you're rich in relationships, you are a very rich individual. What do you feel mm-hmm. like are your three truths you feel like you know to be true? Oh, almost like values, if you will. Yeah. Um, I'd say one of them is treat, treat others how you want to be treated, especially in today's day and age. My goodness. Um, like all we, all we all want is just to be cared for and to be respected and to be, you know, all, I'll, I'll just be be nice, be good people, you know. So, right. Um, just just treat people how how you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very simple, you know. Um, I I think about uh, you know the, the gym these days. There's all these little wet wipes on the training floor, and uh, you know I know sometimes people accidentally leave them on the ground. Pick it up. Just. Take take care of the things that are surrounding you. You know, there's actually a book, good book. Uh, I know I've referenced a lot of books. It's this book called Legacy. And it's written about the um, the All Blacks. It's a rugby team in New Zealand, and they talk about um, everybody keeps up the, the the locker room, not just the rookies, but the veterans as well. Right. You know, everybody sweeps sweep everybody sweeps the shed. They say, okay, and so. Um, you know, I look up to our, our general manager at our club who he'll walk in and he'll grab a band off, you know, the rack and he'll pick up, you know, this piece of trash and he'll just do that as he's walking through the club. And, uh, you know, if everybody did that, it'd be a much better, not just gym, but it'd be a better world. You know, if people would just pick stuff up and not just throw it on the ground. I know sometimes it's accidental, but sometimes it's not. Yeah. So... Yeah, leave um, the leave the world a better place than you found it. I feel like. Yeah. Yes, and that's what they say. It's, it, they actually say, "Leave the jersey in a better place." Yeah. In that book, the legacy, right? So oh, that's when, a cool mindset. In a better place than when you came into the uh, the, the the team. Um, I think of this this mime. Uh, I think it's a duplex, and there's two front doors, and there's a shared 
staircase up to these two doors and uh, one person, there's a snowstorm and one person has shoveled their, their side of the steps. And the steps are not that wide. There's not that many of them. And it says, the mime says, don't be this person. And they're pointing to the person that shoveled their steps. And for a second, you're like, what? But what they mean is, why couldn't you have spent another 30 seconds to shovel your neighbor's front steps? And so getting back to just being kind, I think that that's, that's important too. Just <laughs> if your neighbor shoveled their snow, you would want them to shovel your little steps too, you know? So I think that that's what I think about um, something my parents taught me early on is we, sh- we shoveled our our driveway and our next door neighbor, her name was Miss Perla and she was probably in her, oh, she was probably in her late 60s, early 70s and we, every single time, shoveled her driveway. Holy cow, we shoveled the neighbor's driveway and anybody else who needed it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's something my parents taught me early on. Yeah, just be more kind. It doesn't take that much to extend a little bit of extra effort and going the extra mile. Now, speaking of legacy, um, what do you feel like you want to be remembered for? What kind of legacy would you like to uh, leave behind? Um, That's a good question. Uh, That's kind of an evolving one. Um, One of my businesses was called Fast and Fit Coaching, and uh, I wanted to make people fast and fit. And I say and, and I use the word <laughs> and kind of lean into the word and because I know a lot of fast people out there who are just fast. And uh, I want to be able to make, and I, I use the word fast, not just in running, but like fast could also mean performance. Fast could also mean um, skier, row, run, bike, swim, strong, okay? And fit, fit in my eyes, my eyes means healthy. So I want people to be be able to perform and to be healthy. And so I think my legacy is, um, you know, to, to give people the performance that they want, but also to teach that getting a good night's sleep is sexy. Drinking the appropriate <laughs> amount of water is sexy. Like, uh-huh. that's good. That, it may not actually be sexy on Instagram, but, like, that's actually what gets you the results is the non-sexy stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's not It's not the single-arm barbell snatch that you do it's not the <laughs> you know upside down push-up the flash gimmick arm. yep yeah no like what what sexy is um having a low resting heart rate dang that's sweet no you're in the <laughs> 40s oh snap oh wait you got eight hours of sleep yeah high five good job like let's make that cool you know let's make oh you crushed the veggies today yeah you know oh you ate an appropriate amount of protein you know what I mean let's make that stuff cool and sexy yeah Um, and that's what's going to make you make you healthy and and uh get you living long with lots of resilience and and vibrance later in your life I love that. That's a, that's something that I'll definitely, I want to implement that a little bit more. I think that's funny. Celebrate the mundane so that it can be, you know, more fun, more fun to achieve. Mike, thank you yeah, so much yeah. for spending time with us today. Um, I really, really appreciate your time. I know time is one of the of most course. valuable things that we have. So spending it together 
Um, and sharing your story today has been very meaningful. So I definitely appreciate that. Do you have anything else that you would like to share with everyone today before we leave? If you want to follow me, I'm, I'm put a lot out on social media. Um, my Instagram is Fast and Fit Mike, and uh, like I said, I want to be able to impact a lot of people. And you know, social media is the, can be the life and death of us, but it is a great way of just um, distributing information. And I do it a lot on, on uh, Instagram and do it a little bit on, on Facebook. So that's a great way of just get, getting to know who I am and to see what I'm putting out there. Um, and I just want to thank you as well for uh, inviting me on this call. Like I know there's a lot of, you know, badass people out there that are, that are crushing it at lifetime. So, uh, I'm honored to be asked to be on the call. Absolutely. It's, it's one of my biggest pleasures. Um, I do this as a passion project. So, um, it's just in, really enjoyable getting to know how many people, um, are just really making an impact and making changes in people's lives. And we all work for the same company. So why not reach out and get to know each other? Um, all right, you guys, thank you for listening to behind the name tag more than a coach where coaches are humans too. I appreciate every human and their journey. And I hope to continue to connect and shed light on how uniquely beautiful we all are. Our differences are what make us unique, but it's our humanity that brings us together. Stay healthy, my friends. This is your host, Vanessa signing out. Thank you so much again for listening to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. We are broadcasting on anywhere you can find other podcasts like Apple, Spotify, and of course, Anchor, where we're recording this podcast now. If you really loved it, which I'm sure you did, we would appreciate a five-star review and a share with all of your friends. Until next time, this is your host, Vanessa, signing out. Stay healthy, my friends.